near him, being willing to do and to go wherever we need to, even if it means going where we've never been before. Amen. The question that must be answered in every one of our hearts today is how bad do we really want the presence of God in our life? Perhaps if we are honest with ourselves, we would say we are content with what we now have. We're saved by His grace we, and faith in God, and, and that's, that's enough for us. And if that is you, then this message today is not for you. But you might want to stay around anyways, because you might need it one day. <laughs> Amen. Jesus was in his final hours here on the earth. He was under great pressure. <clears throat> he would make his way to the garden to pray, and as he would make his way to the garden to pray, there was no longer the multitudes that followed him. I read some things this past week that said on an average that everywhere that Jesus went, there would be somewhere five to 8,000 people would show up. They would be in attendance. And so however they figured that, that's what they're saying, that everywhere he went, there's five to 8,000 people were showing up. But when he made his way to the garden, there wasn't the 5,000, there wasn't uh, the 120, there wasn't even the 12, but there was only three that followed him to the garden. And their flesh overrode their spirit and they continually fell asleep. And the Bible says that Jesus went to them on three occasions and, and told them that your flesh, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak, right? He was telling them after all this time, you are still carnal. You're still controlled by your flesh, right? We talked about this on the Sunday nights for about a month, how that we are spirit, soul, and body. And whenever we are uh, controlled by our flesh, our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, when we are controlled by those things, then we will never fulfill the things of the spirit. And that is the reason we are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. And whenever we allow our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions to uh, get out of uh, track or out of uh, what needs to be done, then we allow our emotions, our will, our desires to control us instead of the spirit, right? And so when that happens, we get everything out of whack and our lives get chaotic because we are no longer controlled by our spirit, but we are controlled by our flesh. And so after all that these disciples had seen, 
after all that the multitudes had seen him do, the twelve seen him do, even the three that followed him to the, to the garden and they fall asleep. Uh, they've seen all of these things that Jesus did. He's seen the miracles. They've seen the signs. They've seen the wonders. They've they seen everything, but yet they were controlled, still controlled by their carnal flesh. And I'm convinced that that's where we are in the American church today. We are very carnal. We love God. We have good intentions, but our flesh is weak. When we have to make a choice of the spirit or the flesh, it seems that most of the time the flesh wins out. Amen. Jeremiah 29 and 13, it said, And I will seek, and, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. When will we find him? When we search or seek for him with all of our heart. God's not hiding in a way that he cannot be found. He is hiding in such a way that only hungry people will find him. If you are not hungry, you will not find him. Only the passionate will pursue him. Only those who come to an understanding that they really need God in their life, they need his presence in their life, will pursue him. He doesn't waste his presence. He doesn't show up where he's not desired. He doesn't, he doesn't reveal himself where there is no hunger, where there is no passion, where there is no desire. He, he shows up where the hungry are. He shows up where the passion, in fact, I would submit to you that it is our hunger and our passion for him that draws his presence to us. And if there is no hunger, if there is no desire, then there will be no presence. God wants us to discover him. He wants us to find him. And he wants us to know him personally. But he is not going to enforce himself or, or really even reveal himself to us when there is no desire for the things of the Spirit. And we also know that Israel was living in... in a uh, short of her purpose. We know that when we see Israel that she was failing God and what wasn't worshiping God. We know that during this time they were operating in the arm of the flesh and God longed for them to turn back to him. Under Saul's leadership, Israel stayed uh, strayed from Jehovah God, they made their own idols, they began to worship in, uh, them instead of Jehovah God. And when David becomes king, he sets out to turn Israel back to worshiping the true and living God once again. He begins to work and begins to work to bring the ark of God back to the new capital city of Jerusalem. And the first thing that he does is he brings Israel together. He gets them to buy into the plan of bringing the ark of God back to the city of Jerusalem. In 1 Chronicles 13 and 2, it said, And David said to all the assembly of Israel, 
If it seems good to you and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren wherever you are left in all the land of Israel and with them to the priests of the Levites who are in their cities and their common lands that they may gather together to us and let us bring the ark of our God back to us for we have no not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Amen. He is telling them here that everyone must get involved. Everyone must get involved. He says, we've got to buy into this thing. We've got to be a part of this thing. And it's not just me that is going to get the ark, but everybody has got to get involved because it cannot happen with just a few people. Amen. Now, it, this is a very sad scripture here because the whole time of Saul's reign, right? The whole time of Saul's reign, they never looked for the ark. That was 42 years. 42 years void of the presence of God. 42 years they didn't inquire about the glory of God. They were still having church. They were still having their services. They were still going through the rituals. They were still making sacrifices. They were still going through all of the religious mundane motions. And, and, and yet the whole body of, of, of Israel, no one inquires where is God. They have the form. They went through the same rituals. The only thing missing is the presence of God. And nobody questioned it. I'm talking about in Saul's reign. Not today. Even though I could be talking about today. Amen. If you don't learn from your past, you're going to repeat your past. Amen. And we have come full circle to the days of Saul, if I be so bold today, to say that we've learned how to do church without the God of the church. We've learned how to go through the motions and be okay without experiencing and encountering the presence of God. Till we've had a form of godliness, we know how to sway men's emotions. We know how to make people feel good. Huh? We know how to go through and, and, and make the flesh feel good, make it feel welcome. But where is the presence of God? Where is the anointing of God? Where is the presence of God that convicts a man or a woman of their sins? Where is the presence of God that causes the broken to be made whole? Where is the presence of God that mends that that is broken and makes it new again? 
Where is the presence of God that causes wrong to become right and the crooked to become straight and the high to become plain? Where is the presence of God? Nobody is asking the question because we've got it figured out. We can do church without the God of the church. Where we go and we sing our songs and we preach our messages and we go through the Sunday rituals and, and it is though that God is speaking, even though he is speaking to Saul, it is though that he is speaking to this modern day church in America. In order to shake a nation, it took more than leadership or a few. It took the whole body to be willing to desire and to go after and do whatever it took to get God's presence again. And so David goes after the ark, and, but he tries to take a shortcut. You walking with me? He tries to take a shortcut. He tries to do it like the Philistines have been doing it. He gets him a new cart. He, he, he goes after the presence of God. He goes after the ark with this new cart because that's the way the Philistines carried it around. Right? That's the way they moved it. That's the way they got the ark from one place to another. They put it on the carts and they moved it around. And, and, and he allowed culture to determine how he worshipped. He allowed the culture of the day to determine how he worshipped God. And David knew better. Huh? David knew better. This was 42 years later, and this is how they were worshiping now. <laughs> Let me say to you today, we cannot afford to allow culture to determine how we worship God. I know, I know that this culture wants to, to cool it down. This culture says it don't take all of that. This culture says it's okay to act crazy everywhere but the church. Huh? It's all right. It's all right for you to act crazy at a ball game. It's quiet in this here Presbyterian church. It's all right for us to get excited and cheer on our team at the ball game. Huh? I've done that myself. I have no problem doing that. In fact, I've been threatened to be put out before. It's true. Amen. But you see, We've allowed the culture to dummy us, to mute us. I was sitting here today thinking because I knew what I was going to be speaking on today and I couldn't help but to think I, I miss the voices. I thought, what's, what's missing in the church? I tell you, I miss the voices of praise during singing. I miss it. I miss hearing the voice, not just of the worship team, but the voice of the congregation. 
lifting their voice and praising God. Don't stop their worship because the song has stopped. Don't stop their praise because the song has stopped. But there was something that was released into the atmosphere through their worship that they, they, the church understood that it's, it thank God for the praise team. Thank God for the worship team. But it, but it is my praise that God inhabits. It's my praise, my worship that God is looking for. But we've allowed it to, to mute us. We've allowed this modern day culture to say it don't take all of that. But I want to tell you this morning that the church is not a library where you go in to study and remain quiet. We didn't come here today to mourn the death of our leader. We came here to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This isn't a time for mourning on Sunday morning. This is a time to celebrate a risen Savior and it's more than just Easter and Christmas but every day of our life there ought to be a praise on the inside of us because he lives we can live also and we give a triumphant shout of victory because our Redeemer does live you believe it give him some praise right here this morning We can't afford to allow the culture to determine our worship. Because we've got the culture today has, has double standards. There's one standard for the church and another standard for the rest of your life. Right? And it's okay to act crazy and it's okay, but, but the moment that you, you raise your voice in the church, they start wanting to look at you. But I say to you, do it anyhow. The cart was much easier than the burden of men carrying the cart. Huh? And we've got used to easy worship. Preaching better than y'all letting on, but that's all right. I got two hours. And if you keep carrying on like this, it may take me four. <laughs> sit back down, sit back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we've got used to easy worship. Where we think that the worship team does the singing for us. We just stand and listen. Huh? We, we've got used to easy worship where that nobody puts any pressure on us, where nobody questions our lack of worship. Amen. Now, please understand what I'm about to say. It's not for everybody, but I understand there are some folks that are physically unable to stand. I understand that. But the church I grew up in, if you didn't stand during worship, somebody, and it didn't even have to be your parents, but somebody back of you was going to slap you upside the head and tell you, stand up. It's time to worship. And even nobody else grew up in that church. <laughs> stand up. 
It's time to worship. Huh? They'd put the pressure on you. They'd make sure you stood up because they knew that even if you just took it and, and, and you may not even be really worshiping God, but they knew that the act of it, that, that the presence of God would come. Huh? And the presence of God would begin to shift everything in the atmosphere. And just you participating, you might experience his goodness and his mercy on your life. Amen. And I'm telling you today that, that we have to be, we, we've got to be careful about easy worship. What I mean, I'm talking about where that we just praise God whenever it's comfortable. When we worship God, when we feel like it. Amen. It, it, it's, it's hard to worship God in the dark night of your soul. It's hard to worship God when you come up in here and all week long you fought hell on both sides. And trouble is raging around you and circumstances that are out of your control. It's hard to grab hold of your flesh and cause it to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And say, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will continually be in my mouth. It's difficult. It's difficult to worship him. Sometimes it's hard to worship. And when it seems like there's more against you than there is for you. You. But I tell you today that it's, he is still worthy of praise. He is still worthy of our worship. And God requires that worship be done right. Amen. It's the reason it's called the sacrifice of praise. Amen. The sacrifice of praise. It means that it may not be easy, but it is required. If you're going to enter into the presence of God, you've got to enter the gates of thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his holy name. Amen. And so it must be done right. The scripture says that the ark stumbles whenever David goes after the ark of the covenant. And I believe the ox represents man's strength, man's ability, and man's gifts and talents and abilities can take you so far. They can. They can take you so far, but they cannot take you into the presence of God. They cannot take you into the holies of holies. And the ark becomes unstable and user grabs it. And when he does, he falls dead. David fears the presence of God. 